everybody, and welcome to a new episode of MTG Rants. I'm Tannen Grace. I'm joined by Ross Merriam. Ross, thanks for taking some time out of your busy schedule this week. I know you've got a lot going on. Yeah, we've got a lot of people at the house, a lot of people in town, um, and uh, you know, and more spent, coming. I know that. Yeah, yeah. My brother is actually on the, uh, his train currently, despite his best efforts. Why am I not there? That's what I uh, want to know. I just yeah. picked the wrong weekends. Yeah. I don't know why my brother told me that he got on the wrong train, because now I get to blast him in front of yeah. our many, many listeners. There are dozens of them wrong. <laughs> but he managed to get on the, a Metro North train instead of his Amtrak train. And, you know, people in the Northeast will know those trains do not look similar. Well, <laughs> to, to me, in my mind, they look exactly the same because it's a yeah. train. And I don't have, like, <laughs> yeah. We don't do trains here, but I yeah. mean, I'm not saying there are no trains in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, but like... You don't mess with them. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but he did, he did manage to get off his Metro North train at the next stop and get on his Amtrak train, uh, you know, immediately. He just added steps. Okay. He just made yeah. it more complicated. Yeah. So, uh, you know, he, he is now safely en route and should be here in about mm. nine hours, ten, nine or 10 hours. Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited about what we've got going on in the show today. Uh, I'll give a little, a little outline. We're going to talk a little bit about, Dominaria. It's Wednesday morning at about, well, it's 11.30 to me. It's uh, 12.30 to you, so it's a little bit Wednesday in the afternoon. The The big announcement show will be tomorrow. You probably won't hear the show until after the big announcement show, so we're we're kind of trying to save that for next week's episode because there's probably going to be a lot to talk about. Not only will there be spoilers, but uh, we'll talk about some of the other stuff that we might talk about next week. There we go. Yeah. It, we'll announce an announcement. There we go. Uh, I, I imagine we'll get like six cards. and yeah. But it's going to lead to a lot of stuff, is what I'm talking, what, I, what I'm thinking. Like, I think this is going to be a very leading um, thing from them. Like, they're going to show us something with, like, an ability. They're going to be like, oh, shit. Or, like, you know, some cool callback. Yeah. Or, uh, I mean, shit, let's go. We can just, like, go right into this. We they're they're going to put out the bait tannin. They're going to oh, dangle yeah, the bait. They're exactly. going to put the carrot in front of us. And we're going to be like, ooh, carrot. Yeah, yeah. And then um, we might as well, I mean, we just started talking about it, so we might as well move into it. And, you know, we've been hearing from very credible sources uh, you know, you were usually not a big like tinfoil hat thing, but we've been hearing from very credible sources that buried treasure might be making its way back. If anybody remembers, I think it was like uh, Zendikar, right? Zendikar, yeah. Yeah, Zendikar. Now, I'm going to say a phrase here that you don't hear very often in Magic and used to hear a lot in Flesh and Blood, even though they got rid of it. But it was the first edition Zendikar packs, meaning the first ones that they put out, right? Not like the second wave that came out, the third wave. Like you don't hear this very often in Magic because it doesn't matter. But with this packs, with these packs, it did. The first edition ones, um, they had some cards in them that weren't in the set. And if you opened it, you'd very much know because some of those cards were things like Underground Sea, you know, some revised yeah. cards, uh, Mox some Pearl, Mox yeah. Pearl, yeah. And the funny part is, is, like, there's probably been one or two that haven't been opened. There's probably you know some sealed packs somewhere that someone put away or you know, this maybe got lost in shipment that like could still have that. But if I remember, I, I think David Williams opened up a underground sea. If I remember, and I was just like, yeah, of course, David Williams opened this, you know, it's just like, it's just, of course he did, you know, kind of thing. But capitalism so continues to work. Yeah, I know. Right. And so, God, I love that. And so, um, that is something that's possibly coming back with the set because I know if you, if you remember this, we talked about this set a couple of weeks ago, and like I said it, and a bunch of other people said it, with the way that it was being talked about, and like, kind of, and I'll, I'll give a secret away, uh, something that you, where you read between the lines, people were like, something's up with this set, they're, they're doing something different, 
And then we saw the notes on it a week or two ago from Amazon, where the price of it was a little higher, which we kind of expected, but the price is a little bit higher. But there's going to be a legend in every pack, kind of like last time. And then there's going to be box toppers again, which is like, that could be anything, right? Like sometimes we've seen some good box toppers. Sometimes we've seen, you know, hey, here's a box topper that always comes out. And it's like, you know, a few bucks, right? It's like not awful, but it's like, it's like gala greeters. It's not, you know, yeah. b- foil borderless Liliana of the Veil, you know, like a $200 <laughs> card, right? Like th- those, there's, a, there's a delta there, right? So we don't know exactly what those are going to be. But w- one of the ways to judge this, and I'll, I'll give away a little trade secret, is um, if you know people who have um what's what's the what's the stores that are uh the, the higher up stores they're called like premier right wp and uh, premier yeah i think it's yeah. wizards premier yeah you have a wp and premier or wizards premier yeah. store um they, they give you like a certain allocation for stuff right but like a lot of times there's like a minimum on some of the bigger stuff well you know like for double master or something or some of the stuff you're like you have to take this much kind of thing right you know for commander legend you have to take this much but for this one the allocations for stores were humongous, like very big. In fact, like one of my friends that runs a store was just like, yeah, something's going on. <laughs> he's like, they're sending me like an absurd amount. In fact, he's like, I thought about like, you know, pushing back a little bit on it, but obviously I'm not going to now, you know, kind of thing. But <laughs> um, so they might be anticipating like, you know, record sales. Yeah. on this set so and, and you know if indeed we do have these hidden treasures or what i can't remember exactly what they're called but treasures i, I think we just called them hidden treasures yeah, yeah in, in these packs it wasn't a big deal because like no, they didn't actually exist like they exist but like the odds of opening one were yeah. astronomically yeah it wasn't like you got one in every box or anything like mm. that or even any every case yeah one every like five cases no it was one every like 50 pallets or something you yeah. know yeah uh, whatever the number is some absurd number but, you know, I could see them juicing it a little bit more if they're allocating. You know, we're not going to be clear on that. But the, I think the big thing like, is... I've heard rumors of, like, cutting uncut sheets that they've had <laughs> since the 90s. So Yeah. But if we think, you know, if, if you think back to 2009 when Zendikar was released, I think around that time, Underground Sea was about 50 bucks. What, what mm-hmm. is it now? Like, 600 Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, casual, 800? Like 700 800 depending yeah. on, like... On condition, of, yeah, factors and yeah. stuff, yeah. So, I'm I'm pretty sure that outstrips inflation by quite a bit, <laughs> and, and you know, it's same with a lot of the other reserve list cards over the last 13 years. So, uh, the even even with the small chance of opening one, you know, the EV probably gets noticeably affected. So, uh, yeah, I I can imagine that this will, if this does, you know, come to fruition. It will uh, cause a bit of a frenzy. Yeah, it definitely cause a bit of frenzy. Um, uh, I'll, I'll do some drafts at, at FNM, maybe. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, it's one of the things where like, I might buy a box or two. I might open one because like, here's the thing. I am a fish for this kind of thing. Like, I bought a decent bit of double masters. You know, like the the, the higher end stuff, right? Like yeah. the, the fun lottery ticket stuff, like whatever, right? And I like supporting my LGSs. Like, I went to both my LGSs. I was like, hey, give me some collector packs, right? And um, because, like, I don't buy the normal stuff. Like, I I, I can't tell you the, pa- the last time I bought packs of, like, a standard set. You know, because, like, because why, right? Like, I'm the kind of guy, like, if I buy anything from standard, like, it's, like, I need a very specific card from the set. Can you give me four, you know, trust, uh, whatever, graveyard trespassers? You know, like, yeah. I really need this card for my Pioneer deck or something, right? Or I need one of this card for my cube, you know, kind of thing. Like, there's a reason for me to buy boxes. But 
this kind of stuff, I might buy a few boxes. And then like, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to buy these boxes and sit on them later. And like, yeah. cause, cause and how does a way that to affect the resale price of it? Exactly. Is, is there going to be any way to tell like which ones are first, you know, addition from the sealed product? I was just thinking that because like on the original, I mean, on flesh and blood, we talked about this. Um, you used to get two different shipments. You used to get first edition and you used to get uh, unlimited edition. And first edition of every set had uh, special foils in them that you could open. You weren't guaranteed it, but you would get them pretty decently often. Like, like on average-ish, yeah. one a box. And they ranged from like commons all the way up to like legendaries. And those are worth like hundreds of dollars, right? And so on the box, in like, in, in like this little red section, it would say like first edition, or it would be a different color and say like unlimited. So you know which box you're getting. Right. And the resale value on them, like one of the original problems that people had with Flesh and Blood, like one of the original things that, you know, magic players like to say bad things about Flesh and Blood was like, oh, it's just some game for you to like pump and dump and buy or whatever. Cause like a lot of collectors bought boxes of the original stuff in the first edition and just sat on it and then resold them later for like a ton of money. But that's not a thing that actually happens in the game anymore. They fixed it and it's a really cool thing that they did. But is that going to happen in magic? Is there a way for us to know? And like you're saying the same thing. I'm. I'm interested and curious and worried all at the same time. What about you? Um, I mean, this this kind of thing is never going to, you know, get me too excited. Right. But, like, I don't, we'll see what happens. It's kind of cool. I don't know if you want to ask the question, what does get you excited, Ross? It's like <laughs> Utah Jazz and stuff or whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Certainly not the Utah Jazz blowing up the, yeah. and trading all of their stars. Yeah, and I was just going to say, I'm not going to get too lewd here. I'm sure I can make a couple jokes besides besides me, Ross, you know, kind of stuff. Yeah. But uh, yeah. You know what got me excited was was Albert Pujols coming back to win round one of the Home Run Derby. Oh, yeah, yeah, because y'all had your little uh, your little game going yeah. with it. That's, that's really funny. The Home Run Derby wasn't very bad, man. Like, Julio Rodriguez really showed up and uh, put himself on the map here. Like, not, I mean, here's the thing. If you follow baseball, like, really follow baseball, he's already put himself on the map for you this year because he's a rookie. Yeah. But, like with like not a lot of games you know but uh holy shit did he arrive you know he hit the most home runs ever hit in a, in a home run derby overall did lose the finals because that's not how, exactly how it works but yeah but that is how the home run derby always works the person who puts on the show in the early rounds always <laughs> loses the finals <laughs> so and no one know, remembers I, who wins yes since i like baseball you know i like stats i got a couple funny ones for you here that that really bring that really hit home some ridiculous stuff that happens in baseball all right so Julio Rodriguez played against Juan Soto in the finals of the, the Home Run Derby, right? So yep. in the finals, it was a player with like, I'm, I don't know the exact exact number on this one, but I'm going to tell you a few, a few of the set. It was a player with like 150 lifetime home runs versus a player with 94 career hits. <laughs> right, because Julio is like literally brand new, hasn't even played, he's played half a season, right? Yeah. And he was bad. And, and 94 hits in half a season is pretty good. Oh yeah, he was really bad his first month, and then he's just been absurd since. He's like, he's like, oh yeah, I'm really good. Let's figure this out. And then my other favorite part about the finals is, so the winner of the home run derby gets a million dollars, right? Which really matters. That's why you see some of these young kids play in it and really say yes, because like you know they're not making a ton of money yet, comparative to like the superstars in the game, right? So in the finals, you had a guy, Julio Rodriguez again, making seven hundred thousand dollars this year. I know that sounds like a lot of money, but in baseball, that's like almost the bare minimum for a major league player. You had a guy who who makes $700,000 playing against a guy who just said no to the biggest contract ever offered to a baseball player at $440 million. And he was like, no, nah, I'm good. I'll wait. I'm going to get a it better offer. It was for offer. like 12 or 13 years, wasn't it? 15. 15. So that, that was one of the reasons he said no. It's like, 
not as it was 15 years, but it was only it was only 29 million a year. And there's players making over 40 million a year in in baseball. And he's like, I'm I'm the best damn player in the game. I, I here's the thing. Personally, I don't like the guy. A, he's like a direct rival. We're talking about Juan Soto, the Washington yeah. Nationals. He's a direct rival of the, uh, of the Atlanta Braves. And he just rubs me the wrong way. He's just like a little too cocky for, for, for my like. But he's one of those players that like everybody loves to hate the dude when he's not on your team. And when he's on your team, you probably just love him. You know, because yeah. he's, he's just absurd, right? And the reason he's getting these kind of contracts is the dude's 23 and been in the league for three years and just destroying the ball. So like you're getting him for his entire career if you get him under contract. Like you're And you're going to get... I mean, all signs are pointing to this kid's going to not just be a perennial all-star. He is going to be a Hall of Famer. Like, he's that good. Like, the words Barry Bonds get kind of thrown around a lot because he's a left-handed hit outfielder, you know, and he's a little athletic, but, like, just... The guy's on base percentage is, like, he always leads the league in, like, on base percentage, and he can hit a lot of home runs and stuff. Just, you know, Billy Bean, you know, if you, if you like Moneyball, he would love this kid. He would literally yeah. do anything he could because to get a hold of this kid. <laughs> yeah, because why? why? Because, he, because he gets on base. Because <laughs> he gets on base. There you go. I love you, Ross. I love when you you you, you hit it like that. Um, gosh, someone, at, someone at home, <laughs> but not the best crazy Someone at home's gonna clip out. I knew it right when I said it to you. I was like, "This is bad." But uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna steer into it just a little bit. Who cares? Uh, and yeah. send tweet. <laughs> and that's gonna be that's actually gonna be nuts to watch over the next. So he sold a contract for this like the rest of this this season and two more. Like they have control over him, right? But they're. They said, they said, and this is something that's leaking. They're like, we're gonna we're gonna offer him one more contract, and if he says no, then we're gonna trade him. That I don't know if that means now, you know, during the summer, like what, like you know, off season, like what, and stuff. So, uh, what your team would have to give up to get this guy, I don't even know. Like I'll tell you this right now: a, we can't do it, because like I don't think, a, I don't know if we can afford him. B, like uh, we don't have the guys to trade for him, and they wouldn't trade in division. I don't think. That's another thing people aren't thinking about because, like, you know, Mets fans are all like, oh, he's coming here. And I'm like, what you'd have to give up and what you'd have to pay this guy to get him to come to New York are absurd. And also, like, teams in baseball, when they trade this kind of player, try to not trade in division because here's the thing. That team wants to win, right, at some point. And they're trying to rebuild around this guy. But if they're not going to do that, they want to get a haul for him, right? They're going to want to get, like, five or six players that are good, obviously, like, very good, right? Like, one of the – it'll probably be the biggest trade you've ever seen. Like, I, I can imagine it being just the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen. But, like, if they trade him in division, they now have to play him 20 times a year. You know, 20-something times a year. And, like, they're not going to want to do that. You know, like, they're like they're going to go, like, here, go play the West Coast of some team that we may see two or three times a year. Maybe. You know? And and figure that kind of thing out. So that's going to be nuts. Uh, you had anything else going on uh, that's interesting before we get really into the show here? Um, I mean... I'm, we're, we're prepping for our, our backyard Olympics for this weekend. Yeah, I'm so jealous, so man. It's supposed to be 98 on Saturday. Dude, it's so hot everywhere right now. Like, I mean, have you heard about what's going on in Europe right now? It's actually really sad and Yeah, shitty, like the obviously. trains can't run. Yeah, well, like, people are dying and stuff. Oh, yeah. like it's It's getting to, well, from our degrees, it's getting over 100 there. And they, like, don't have that happen. They're, like, their infrastructure's not there. They don't have air conditioning. Like... They're, like the, the materials they use like cannot handle this like yeah it does, nothing it doesn't designed happen. to to work yeah. in that kind of heat yeah it's like uh it's like you know uh you know we got a lot of jokes here like the one or two times in my life that it's like snowed here and it hasn't even really snowed that much our whole city just shuts down because it doesn't happen here you know it's another uh great side effect of global warming is that like shit's just gonna you know hit the fan with this kind of stuff so 
But uh, yeah, y'all stay safe. Stay uh, stay cool. You're gonna have some shaded areas in the backyard, I'm assuming. So the house provides a significant amount of shade, but I'm tent? also trying to uh, ask around to see if anybody has a uh, like a canopy tent. So this is when you really need to live here. Everybody has them here. Yeah, because we have them for tailgating. Yeah, we've sent. I have one friend who has one that they bring to softball games, but uh, he knew. He and his wife are having a yard sale that weekend, so they're using it. They're using the tent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's probably not a good weekend to have a yard sale, honestly. <laughs> but yeah. Like one of the hottest ones of the year. But Oh yeah, it's got it's both days. It's gonna be like it's like ninety eight ninety nine on the Yeah. On the weather forecast. It's kinda kinda it's gross. Brutal. All right, so uh, you know, that's what you've been up to, uh, things that I've been up to this week. I've been super busy with a bunch of other stuff, so thank you for, you know, getting the show in while while we can, but uh, I've actually been up to a thing in Magic recently that I'm really excited about, and I think people at home are going to be a little surprised to hear that, that I've been, like, super excited about Magic, you know, because I've been focused a lot more on Flesh and Blood and stuff lately, but uh, I came up with, I say that I came up with, um, I'm going to just go ahead and say that I kind of stole this tiny bit from somebody as well, uh, let me get you his handle on Twitter, because he talked about it a little bit, um, if I can ever pull it up. David Kesser or whatever, you know, he's a uh, Kess Wiley, W-Y-L-I-E. It's Dave Kess or whatever. Sure. Uh, he's, yeah, he um, he had, he was talking about this on Twitter and I had kind of like gotten involved because it's like one of my favorite ways to play the game and stuff. And so the way the format works is it's a 1v1 format. So like you and I would play against each other. And it's uh, what we, you know, I grew up calling Highlander. So it's Singleton. You can only have one copy of every card in your deck besides basic lands. And it's just modern. Okay? So it's like commander light with no commander. So you can't have a commander. You cannot have a companion. You're allowed to put them in your deck. You know what I mean? Like you could have you could have Yorion in your 100-card deck, but you cannot have it outside of your 100-card deck. Sure. Kind of thing, right? And we use the modern ban list with some exceptions. And I thought this is going to be a cool little conversation to have with you because I have the ban list pulled up. And I wanted to hear your conversation, your opinion on a few cards because... I've been steadily like going through it and being like, if you want to have one copy of this card in your deck, I'm okay with this kind of thing. Because like I think one copy of this card in a 100-card deck is okay, while some of them are still not okay. And, stuff. and so I've been having a ton of fun with the format so far. Um, I have two decks built and two more where I'm just like waiting to sleeve them up and get the right cards because I'm like missing some commons and uncommons that I have to get in the mail and stuff. And so far I have I have a Jeskai deck that was I was playing as like kind of like a mid-range control deck, but I'm just gonna switch it over straight to prowess. So it's just gonna have like all the good one and two and three drops that like, you know, make tokens or prow you know, the little prowess creatures. And then the fun part about it is you get to kind of like unban some cards in modern, and I'm using the unban thing a little light, because like I'm playing Electrolyze, Ross. I'm playing Snapcaster Mage. You know, cards <laughs> that like used to define the format used to be really good, but like you don't get to play anymore. You know what I mean? Or just aren't as good in playable decks. So you get to play a lot of fun stuff there. Like the other decks that I've built, um, I have like an Esper Control deck that I'm, I'm sleeving up. I have Mardu Aristocrats that I'm sleeving up. It's a deck I think you would like quite a bit. It's just Rakdosak with some of the good white cards uh, added in. And nice. then what's the other one? Oh, and I have Jund. Just actual factual Jund and stuff in there. So that one's really cool and good too. It just interacts at a lot of points. And you just play a normal game of Magic. You know, you're both a 20 and you play. And it's, it's a ton of fun because... The games are generally very different almost every time you play. You know, if you shuffle it up and stuff, and, like, you see some cards. Like, I played, 
think nine games of somebody the other day and in game nine i like played a card and they're like oh i didn't even see that one yet i didn't i didn't even know that was in your deck and it was really cool you yeah know, like that kind of stuff so actually like you know bringing out more of the singleton nature of the format yeah and i just really like trying that, to right? limit the homogenization exactly uh so i have the modern band list pulled up in front of me i'm going to ask you about a few cards and like i know where i am on every one of these cards but i'm a i can be swayed ross but there's a few i mean i'm not going to talk about every single card here but uh, we're going through them alph- alphabetical if you want to follow along at home. This is the modern ban list. All right. So the first one that I really talked with a lot of people about and, you know, we had opinions on. How do you feel about Arkham's Astrolabe? Um, as a singleton, perfectly fine. You can let that live. That was our initial response. And then since we've we've come around to saying it's not okay, because the problem is, is we think that every deck that has any amount of basics in it is just going to play the card. And we just don't want a card that's just every every deck is ninety nine cards plus an Arkham's Astrolabe, and you're just going to have all snow basics. Yeah, because there's like there's there's no reason not to. Almost. But aren't the, like the heavy multicolor decks going to be light enough on basics that you can't reliably find them? That's the thing. Is like I didn't think about that because here's the thing: most and, of the and decks those are the decks that would want Astrolabe anyway, right? Right, right. So like it's it's an interesting it's an interesting spot, right? Because. Uh, I have another deck in mind where it's going to be like the Omnath four color deck, but I'm also going to put Primeval Titan in it and like a Valakut nice. and like stuff like that. Like it's going to do that. And Ross is really excited. Y'all can't see this at home. But uh, when I've built the decks so far, all of them have somewhere between like 37 to 43 ish lands, just depending. And I'll tell you this I'm not playing a ton of basics yet, but a lot of us just think we like just don't want to get to a point where it's just a card that just gets it's like an automatic include in any deck that has X amount of basics or more. So that one we were, we were a little back and forth on. Originally, I thought it was okay. Okay. Uh, obviously, Birthing Pod is not okay. I don't care if you have one copy or, or four. That card's yeah. not okay. Well, how do you feel about Blazing Shoal? Fine. Fine? Okay. Okay. That one we were kind of going back and forth a little bit. Uh, bridge from Below. I don't even think Blazing Shoal would be good in Modern. <laughs> yeah, maybe. All right. Bridge from Below. Fine. Okay. You can't build a Dredge deck in Singleton. Yeah. So that, that's the thing. We, we talk about the couple Dredge cards, like Bridge from Below and Golgari Grave Troll. I'm okay with those cards. Yeah, like those are cards that, that you need a critical mass of. Like, you know, you're playing your one Grave Troll, your one Stinkweed Imp, your one Golgari Thug, your yeah. one Shambling Shell, yeah. your, you know, your one Life from Below. You can get creative. You can get creative with it. You have to your play one like, Dark Blast. Yeah, you have to get really creative in other ways to mill your yeah. deck. Yeah, you play, yeah, like, yeah, you play Glimpse the Unthinkable and, and Hedron uh, Crab. Supplier, all the cards like that. You get Hedron Crab yourself. Yeah, because I do think it would be uh, Sultai. So, yeah. Um, here's one that I know how we feel, and I know what's going to happen with this, but I want to hear your thoughts. Chromox. That one's busted. I think no on Chromox. Yeah, yeah. Wait, easily no. Get it out of here. Easily no. What's 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 the thing? No, just immediately no. Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> yeah, immediately yeah. no. Yeah. All right. Uh, Cloud Post. Um, also fine because it's a yes. singleton. Yeah, I think we're okay with it because there's a couple ways to to, to really abuse this. Right? We talked about there's Cloud Post. It's like Vesuva. Um, Glimmer Post, and there's one other Locust, isn't there? Yeah, Glimmer Post is the, the other one, I think. I don't know if there's. I thought, I I thought there's they three. printed a, a third one since then. Yeah, like in also, a weird like, set. Like Thespian Stage, but like I'm okay with all these things. Yeah, if you're playing like a colorless deck that is working this hard to get a land to yeah. tap for three mana. And that's the deck I wanted in. Like, I yeah. want your colorless deck to have this kind of draw. Like, I think it's cool. You know what I mean? Because, like, if you're playing colorless, like, if you're playing a deck that's got, like, Hedron Archive and, like, Karn. Oh, that's another thing. Um, if you have a card like Karn and the Great Creator, you get seven cards. Kind of like the Arena sideboards. Okay, sure. You get seven cards. Because, like, one of my decks, uh, the Rakdos Sack deck, in it I have, um, what is it, uh, Eye Twitch or whatever? You know, the one drop yeah. that learns? 
and then I have the two drop that learns the the white two one. Sure. And I have and I have the red burn spell that learns because I'm just playing uh the, this like all the good uh all I say good all the good playable uh lessons uh, lessons that like make creatures or like the seven drop one just so you can play longer because the deck does have the problem of if you draw all like one and two drops sometimes you just like your opponent plays a five drop and you die because like your stuff's are like one ones for ones and like two twos for two and they all work well synergistically but if you like don't draw village rights if you don't draw like omnixilis or something you know you don't draw like one of the good synergy payoff cards and you just draw all the filler like you're attacking with doom traveler and a two one yeah against a deck that's got like real cards in it you know no, that that makes sense. So, so I looked it up, and there are the only two locuses. It's still just Cloudpost and Glimmerpost. So it's Glimmerpost. I couldn't think of the name of that. Yeah. It's the other locus. So, I call I, it. you know, best case scenario, your turn one Cloud Cloudpost, turn two Glimmerpost, and now I have three mana. And like, yeah. how often does that happen? You know, exactly, having right? two and singletons okay in your seven card hand and your hundred card deck. Yeah, you and know. And depending if you have Eldrazi in your deck, you're probably playing the Eldrazi Temple, and like you have draws that are nuts. But I'm okay with that because so will other decks. You know what I mean? So Hold on. I can tell you how often it happens. Oh my god, you're you're pulling up the, real quick while you're doing this. How does this format sound to you so far? Uh, sounds like commander, but better. Yeah, right. It's that's how I feel. So here's the thing: the next time we're in an event together, you're gonna love this. Like I just have usually like three or four decks on me in like a backpack, and yeah. I would just sit down if we have ten or fifteen minutes to play, and I would just open the backpack and be like, hey, grab one, and then grab me one, and then we just play. Yeah, you know, like the the problem with you know. With any format like this where you're you're creating these restrictions in order to breed variants and inject variants into the gameplay, because ideally you want to keep these decks together for years and, you know, evolve them over time and, and play with them a lot, is that in order for your deck to be good, you need to limit variants. <laughs> and so the decks that win uh, are the ones that play all of the tutors and play all the overlapping effects in it large quantities so that your deck effectively does the same thing every game. Yeah. And, you know, and might I do it with slightly that. different cards each time, yeah. but you're always going to end the game with your Craterhoof Behemoth or with your, yeah. you know, combo. Your Valakut, you know, yeah. And, and that's not so fun. So yeah, based, so- on, based on my math, in a 100-card singleton deck, your chances of having two specific cards in your opening seven-card hand are four-tenths of a percent. Love it. Okay. <laughs> so th- this is something that is happening, you know, one in never. 250 games. Yeah. yeah, never. So, And then it becomes a story. Like, when things happen that rarely, like, you you laugh when they happen, even if they're happening to you, where you're like, oh, I got the super busted draw, and, you know, crushed and, me. And that's awesome. That's yeah. cool. That's fun. Yeah. That thing is not fun when it happens every three games. <laughs> yeah. And we're also not playing for much right now. Yeah, we're playing for fun with each other. Like, it's, you know, if this format, you know, picks off, like, whatever. You know, if you yeah. play it in your local game store, then you can have your own rules. But whatever, you, but. you just have to ban most tutor effects, yeah. and then you're fine. Yeah, like, I think I think with that, I'm saying, you know, play play within uh, the spirit of the game, you know, kind of thing. But, like, I'm okay with some of it. Like, you know, if you play Sylvan Scrying in your deck because you have Cloud Post, like, I'm, I'm, yeah, that's fine. You know, you're, you're playing, because here's the, the 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 colorless deck, I might have green in it just to have... Cloud post just to have uh I'm sorry primeval titans uh, s- s- no no just to have uh the card I just said someone's crying and then w- what's the the other card in Tron the one green mana uh, uh ancient stirrings yeah ancient stirrings some stuff like yeah, that ancient so, stirrings someone's crying primeval titan hour of promise all yes great. So, yeah those cards are all like great yeah, yeah since we've pretty much gone over all of them I'm, I'm gonna go back to the cards that we, we skipped over because it does allow us like the artifact lands at first I was like I think they're okay but I'm I'm mm, I'm kind of waffling back I think they're them. fine. 
Yeah, they're, they're, the artifact I, lands I, get I, busted again when you have a ton of them. Like the decks yeah. that played artifact lands played almost yeah. all artifact lands, right? Yeah, and you can't do that in singleton. Yeah. So instead, they become you know. Way the thing things. I don't like about this, the thing I yeah. like about this, is it leads to discussions along the commander lines where you can't play stuff outside of your color identity because somebody's yeah. like, "Oh, you can only play the ones that are colors of your deck," and I'm like, "I don't like that," because because then people are like, "Okay, well then, what if we make it to where like you can only play lands that are colors of your deck? That way, you know, we're not seeing decks with ten fetches and you're not shuffling a ton, which is which is a which is a problem." And then I said this thing where I was just like. All of my white decks so far have had prismatic ending and I've had like one off color triome, so I can go up one higher. So like my Jeskai deck has like a Bant Triome in it. So I can pay green. You know, so I can hit something for four instead of just stuff for three. And I'm like, now I can't play a fetch that like you know, I can't play an off color fetch, but I can play an off color land. Like that doesn't you know what I mean? That doesn't resonate and I don't want too many rules. You get what I'm saying? Like I don't want too many like I don't want yeah. I don't want the um, a, a page long of like your deck has to fit this parameter, you know, kind of thing. Sure. Simplicity is definitely valuable. Yes, exactly. So we've gone over that. We went over last year. Obviously, Birthing Pod is not okay. We did Birthing Below, Chromox, Cloud Post. All right, Dark Depths is obviously not okay because of the reasons we were just talking about. Yep. Uh, Death Ray Shaman, not okay. I think just because if, if it's on turn one, it's just too good. I think uh, Death well, Shaman's not it good. It depends enough. on how many fetch lands are in people's decks, right? Yeah, it's perfectly like, fine if you're not fetching turn one consistently. Yeah, I mean, well, the thing is, is like if you have Death Ray Shaman, you're going to have enough. Like, I thought about just putting it in my Jun deck to test it out. I think that's what I'm going to do. Is like I'm just going to play it and kind of like put it through its paces. Because yeah. here's the thing. The reason why certain cards are really good in Commander and like like hard to deal with or like because when you're playing a four-player game, playing a card like Terminate in your deck or Lightning Bolt is really actually not that good. Just because like it doesn't have an effect on everybody. You know what I mean? You're trying to win a game against three other people. So like overall, your card needs to be more impactful. I'm sure I'm pissing off some Commander players. I'm sorry if I'm, yeah. if, like, I'm insulting you in some way. But generally... A, a general rule, like a general thought of vacuum, is like that's not good enough. In one v one, all of my decks have removal, like a lot of it. Like they're interacting. You know, yeah. my cards are very powerful. Or you know, you're looking at some of like the better removal spells of all time. Too, I'm using like the very like generically good ones. Like obviously lightning bolts in there, but like you know, you're looking at cards that remove permanents. You know, like if I have a black white deck, which I do, like my Mardu deck, just has vindicate in it. It's yeah. like, when you really need to kill something, make sure you can kill it. You well, know? Once you collapse down to 1v1, then spot removal becomes valuable because you're destroying you know, yeah. the totality of your opponent's stuff, yeah. uh, you know, or at least that, that one thing. And then you, the, the efficiency of the one-for-one one removal wins yeah. out. And it's a 1-2, so I'm thinking it's going to die to everything. So I'm like, maybe that, that one's like that one's it, a one that I'm teetering on. I, that one's all about how you rule with fetch lands, and I yeah. even if every deck had ten and a hundred card deck. Uh, well, like, there's more than that too. You could run like prismatic vista and like a couple other things. Yeah, but those ones aren't as good. Like those come with I mean, a bit Vista's, of a cost. Yeah, like, we I don't think see... vista's still good. That's not the one that like it has to be the fourth land. That's uh, fable. Oh yeah, that's okay. Yeah, that one's good. Yeah. Um, so broken, you know, yeah. so every deck could have eleven fetch lands and a hundred card deck. That's one out of every nine cards. That's the like, equivalent that's... of playing about seven in your 60-card deck. Yeah. Would Death Ray like... Shaman be good in a deck with only seven fetch lands? No, and that's the thing. Like, But it hits your opponents, too. So yeah. like now the, the odds of it happening turn one are a little bit higher. But like that's the Arkham Astrolabes thing here. If you're playing ten fetches, a Prismatic Vista, and a couple other things, you only need like three or four basics in your deck, and you're just always going to have it when you need it. You're, you're gonna know that I have an Arkham's Astrolabe in my deck. Like I should get like one basic. So if my deck is four colors, I it's like it's like the four color mana base, right? It always gets the triome, and then it gets the basic of the off color, you know, kind of thing. So yeah. 
that one's that one's a decent talk. I, I, I would say gonna, it's fine. I think it's I think it's I'm like fifty one percent okay. And, you know what I mean? It's a it's certainly fine if you don't allow off color fetch lanes. Yeah, the only exactly. way it's even remotely a discussion is by allowing off color fetch lanes. The ten, yeah, the max, exactly. Yeah. Uh, the, the next one I'm going to lump Dig Through Time and what's it called together? And Treasure um, Cruise. And Treasure Cruise together. I'm flat no. <laughs> yeah, those seem uh, pretty the easy to which, abuse. The games in which you draw them, I think they're too good. Yeah, there's also just enough. Like, blue decks, if you can play enough cheap cantrips, yes. and that card manipulation is already good in a singleton format, and a slower format where you're not going to mm-hmm. get punished by spending your early turns setting up mm-hmm. your later draws. So, you know, like, it would homo- I think it would homogenize blue yes. deck building too much. Also, I think if you're allowed to play them, I think every deck would just have treasure crews in it. You would just have a, because you have a bunch of fetch lands, you just have a land that could produce blue yeah. or two, and you just have treasure crews. I, I would do that. So let's, let's skip down for a second because we brought them up. I'm saying no to Ponder and Preordain as well for obvious reasons. I think they're they make the games too ubiquitous. Like you know, you have, it smooths out your draws too much because you've you're, like my blue decks already have Consider. You know, uh, Serum opt. Visions Opt. Serum yeah. Visions. Yeah, yeah. So my my Prowess deck has all of those, including Thought Scour. And like I'm even playing the uh, right now. I'm playing the one that's like it's blue man. It's a one blue mana draw card, and then if you have twenty or more cards in your graveyard, it's ancestral. Visions of Beyond. Yeah, Visions from Beyond or something like that. Yeah, I'm playing that one too, just because like the odds, like you, you I think it says any player as well. Yeah, by the, the games way. go long. Yeah, it's any player. Like the the, yeah. the Mildex play it in yeah, modern. So, so the card's really good, and not only that, it's like very abusable in my deck, right? Like it's one one mana draw card is good enough in the deck where all of your creatures are either prowess creatures or they're young pyromancer or uh, what's the white one? Uh, monastery uh, mentor. Oh, mon- uh, mentor. Mentor. Yeah. Any of the ones that like you play a card and you like get something, right? And then, <laughs> excuse me, you're also playing Snapcaster Mage. You're playing the, um, again, I'm bad with card names. You're playing the new red creature that's one and a red that has haste. But when it comes into play, you can pay two and a red to put a plus and plus one counter and recast a card from well, your graveyard. Adversary. Yeah, you're playing that for obvious reasons. Like, it's a huge draw late. It's another two drop in your deck. Because that's the hardest thing of the prowess deck is having enough one and two drops to consistently have a creature on one and two. Because, like, the one drops, like, you know, I'm going through to give people at home an idea. It's like, I'm playing DRC, I'm playing Ragavan, I'm playing Delver of Secrets, I'm playing all the prowess creatures, including the white one, Clever Luminancer, or whatever it's called. You know, it gets plus two, plus two. And then I'm playing, like, as of right now, I'm trying out Terramander, because I want to have something like eight to ten one drops, and then a bunch of two drops that are relevant. Because you'd need to play a creature on the first two turns, or be digging for one. Because it's just like the prowess decks, where, like, if you don't draw them, like, your deck's not as good. You know, kind of thing. And then you can play a little bit of long games with the token makers and stuff. And like, and you have some back, you have some back, uh, some back ways to win. Like I have a Jeskai charm in the deck, which helps out a lot with the games where you're going wide and stuff like that. While also just being a playable enough card in your prowess deck. You know, there's, there's games where you're like, attack with a couple of my creatures, burn you for four, deal an extra, like this card deals six or seven damage for three mana, you know, kind of thing. And then, you know, you're playing, um, what is it, Dorat the Perfect Pet? It's, um, Sprite Dragon. You know, those kinds yeah. of cards. Um, there's the 1-3. It's like one in a red. You could tap it to discard a card. And then you reveal the top two cards of your library. And you could play one. And it becomes a 4-4. Four, four. If you have like, I think it's like three or four. I think it's four instances of sorceries in your graveyard. You're going to play Merc Tide in the deck. You know, like all those kinds of things. So, yeah. so you just want to limit the total number of cantrips again. Yeah, this is a format about encouraging variance and yeah. having fun playing casual magic. And I might I might play a factor fiction in the deck 
you know, help dig, you know, dig through the deck, get some good cards, and fill up that graveyard because that card's legal. And there's a few cards that I like. I, I'm like, oh yeah, this card's legal and modern. I will say this too: if you come to me with a card that you specifically want to play in your deck really badly, but it's not a modern legal card, I can rule that it's okay. And you, you can do the same thing with your casual people because, like, here's the thing: I try to stay away from like the supplemental, too crazy stuff, like the commander cards. But like, if it's just a random card, and you're like, "Hey, I really want to play this card because it fits my deck perfectly, and I don't think it breaks anything," I'm okay with that. You know what I mean? Like, just play play within the spirit of the game. All right. So we went through dig through time. How do you feel about Dread Return? Fine. Fine. Okay. I I think Eye of Ugin is not okay. Uh. I think it just homogenizes way too many games. Yeah, that one's probably busted. Yeah, it's a tutor right. effect. Here, here's the big one. This was the first one that I said I am very much okay with you having this in your deck, and you're gonna like this one. Faith is looting. Yeah, perfectly fine. Yeah, basically perfectly fine. Field of the Dead, fuck no. It's in just every deck. Uh, yeah, Field, fuck no. Yeah, uh, this one also no. Cataxian uh, Probe, mostly like, just nah. Miss me with that. I, th- I think it's just going to be in too many decks. I just think it's just too good. It's like one of those cards that's like, let's just say no. You know what I mean, kind of thing? I love Cataxian Probe, so I I'm do- biased. Ross, it's me you're talking to here. Do you remember how many times, how many years did I tell you when like people were talking to me about like, let's ban Days or Brainstorm? I was like, no, you need to ban Cataxian Probe. Like, how many, how many years did you listen to me say that? Yeah, but Sitting I was mad every time. Because you thought I was bad. I love I was right. Probe. I was right. I don't care. All right. <laughs> I care uh, about casting a taxi in Probe Tannin. Glimpse of nature. Uh, fine. I say no, but okay. There's, you only have one in your deck. I understand. I just, I, I, I say no. Okay, Gory Drave, Grave Troll. I'm on this is perfectly fine. Yeah, fine. Okay. Uh, we don't need to do Green Furnace. Green Sun Zenith, I'm on just flat no. Yeah, definitely not. All right. Here's an interesting one. I've I've heard stuff on both sides for this one because of because of weird reasons. Hogak. I want um, to say no because if you have bridge and you have Gogari Grave Troll and all this other stuff, I want to say no to Hogak. This seems fine to me. Again, like the, those decks are built off of the absurd consistency that you know critical mass of delve cards and those things gets you with and with only one gak. Like sure, like people will have plenty of ways to answer it. It's not going to just end the game immediately. You're not casting yeah. it on turn two consistently. I'm a little, I'm a little iffy on it, but I'm kind of leaning towards maybe yes. I think I'm gonna wait till somebody, one of my friends, wants to put the deck together. He's like, yeah, I want to play like a, like a, a graveyard centric yeah, deck where we do all this. And yeah, I was like, all right, cool. Build the deck, show me this thing, and like, because like they're, um, they like to play Sidisi and stuff sure. too. And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, it's like your yeah. payoff is Sidisi. I like this. this like, is that's also awesome. a Deathrite Shaman deck. Yeah, exactly, right? Like, this is, yeah. So, that's the thing. If, like, it's one of those ones where if the deck shows up and it's, like, a little bit too consistent or a little bit too good and it's all these cards that are unbanned, then you have to, like, I need to take one from you. You know what I mean? And it's, like, I don't want to hurt the other decks. And Hogex, the one's, like, this is in this deck. Golgargo Troll's, like, in this deck. You get what I'm saying? It's not in the other ones. So, like, if I ever have to ban something, like, that's... You know, we talk about this on the show. When you ban something from modern, you ban something from legacy. It's like you have to think of the ramifications of taking that card away from other decks, not just the one that you're taking it from. Okay. Yeah. Hypergenesis. Um. This is fun, by the way. I, w- I wish you did stuff like this more, like this, more often. The hypergenesis seems fine to me. There's not enough cascade spells for you to consistently also, do it. Your deck has to be pretty bad without it. Right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like really bad. Here's another one where I was like immediately no. Uh, KCI. Clan Ironworks. I said immediately no. The games in which you A, draw this card are absurd, and then there's a billion ways to find it. it yeah, well, I would be abandoning the ways to find it. But well, in this case, it either if seems bad or unfun with no in-between. Yes. 
Yes, exactly. It never does anything normal. Also, if we're allowing the lands, I want to say no to KCI. Like, I don't want your lands tapping for three mana in this deck. You yeah. get what I'm saying? Yeah. All right. All right, here's, here's an interesting one. This is, this is one of the most interesting ones we've talked about so far. Luris of the Dream Den. Out of here. You're not allowed to have a companion. I don't care. You I don't just want never want to see that card it? again. Okay, cool. It's probably fine. I'm, I just yeah. never want to see the card again. I can, I can hear arguments both sides of this one, right? I can't wait for people in here who, if they get excited about this idea, I can't wait for the chat to blow up in our, our Discord about this. We need yeah. to name this format, by the way. Okay, Mental Misstep. Oh, uh, fine. You think so? Yeah, 100 card decks, the curves get really big. Okay, okay. Uh, here, here's an interesting one. Mox Opal. Um, that's probably too good. I say yes. You think that's fine? I, I, it depends on the lands, if we're allowing the artifact lands or not. That's, that's the thing. I think a couple of the cards are hinged on the other cards that are on the list. Yeah, but I'd rather have artifact lands than Mox Opal. Exactly, because here's the thing. If you're playing an artifact deck, you're just immediately playing the five artifact lands, right? Because like you're gonna play Mox Opal, and you're gonna play some way to filter mana, right? Because yeah. it's just an artifact. Like you know, you're gonna play the filter things. But the, like, but that's cool when you get to like weld your land away. Yeah. You know, just playing Mox Opal is fucked up. It's like having but, Chrome Mox. But here's yeah, here's the problem I have. The more that we allow these cards, like you allow KCI, you allow uh, Mox Opal, you're gonna have decks that start having like fabricate and a bunch of other ways to find <sighs> artifacts, and then they're gonna combo off on people. And I'm just like. That feels not okay with these cards. You know what I'm saying? That feels like we're always doing the same thing in the broken thing. With and them. this is why I am in favor of just banning tutor effects. Yeah, I, I don't like tutor ones. effects either. I don't like tutor effects either. But then, like, you start to talk about fetch lands. Like, then you start to get like into some. Real I'm okay with banning fetch lands. I don't want to do that because, like, I think it hurts the the uh, the aggro decks too much. <laughs> Because if, of like, mana fixing mana issues. It, it makes the mana inconsistent on turn one and two, and it really hurts you playing a one drop into a two drop. And then the mid-range decks are just going to be too good. Like your mid-range decks with like just all the triomes, all the dual lands, and you're like, okay, I'm going to play a three drop on three every game, and like I can't lose. I also just hate shuffling 100 card decks. So. I agree. I agree. It's it's really annoying, but hey, it's what, it's what, it's what the game is. Okay. Uh, synth Lattice. I'm just, saying, I'm just saying no because yeah, very Karn Lattice combo. is just stupid. Get it's just out of here. It's a very simple combo. Okay, Mystic Sanctuary. Um, fine. No, straight up no. Too many fetch lands. It's just like every blue deck is just gonna be doing this. It's gonna. I want to say no. Here's so many easy. of the lands you're playing aren't islands. Yeah. Well, you just you just do your deck. Like here's the thing. The uh, the deck that I was talking about earlier, the Omnath Primeval Titan deck. Almost every deck that almost every land in the deck is gonna be a mountain. I'm just gonna play every dual land. Every land that's a mountain, every triome has got a mountain in it. Like, all that shit. Like, it's going to be very easy to do, believe it or not. Cinderglade, okay. get the fuck in my deck. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> well, Cinderglade is basically just a guild gate that's a mountain. Yeah, but you get what I'm saying? That's fine, though, when you're doing absurdly powerful things. And I think it's cool because, like, now when you're on the draw against the aggro deck and they go one drop, two drop, you're now going third, which I think is cool. You know, it's, it's another thing in the format that's interesting. Sure. Right? All right. Here, here's, this, I think, one of the easiest ones. Oko. Out of here. Yeah, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. It's uh, another here, card I never want to see again. Exactly. Here was an interesting one last night that I was talking to some people about. Once upon a time. Fine. We were leaning towards no. Fine. Okay, you think fine. We did ponder and preordain. It's going to be in your opening hand seven yeah, out of a hundred games. I know. I know. All right. Punishing fire. Uh, Fine. There's only one. Uh, call it in your deck. Yeah. Uh, well, th there's other ways to abuse it, but yeah. And like people will have wasteland and strip mine too for it. There's no there's no wasteland or strip mine in this format. Oh yeah, we're playing modern. modern. Well, well they'll have they'll have field of ruin and ghost quarter. Like yeah, 
Uh, I haven't put this in my deck yet, but I just want to say no to this one because the games in which you're doing it are miserable. Yeah, it's another annoying card, but I don't. Miserable. I just don't think it's going to be very good. Yeah, that's the thing. I think some of these might not be good. I still just don't want them in the format. You know what sure. I mean? Sure, okay. I, I can. I can be okay with that. Because like you also have to think about like what's the word I'm looking for here? Like not playability, but like fun level. You know what I mean? And it just it's not a card that ever does anything fun. Yeah. You know? All right. So the next one, I think this one's pretty easy. Right of flame. Um, I think it's just fine. Yeah, perfectly fine. Yeah, second sunrise. Um, probably fine. I don't think that. Yeah, I don't I'm think you'd be sure able to build one. a second sunrise deck. Yeah, I'm not so sure on that one just yet. If we had another set come out with a whole bunch of like egg-like cards, maybe not. But uh, seething song. I think this one's also yeah, also same fine. Flame, just fine. Uh, since he's divining top, I I'm not even gonna talk about this. You you know where I land on this. Uh, yeah, no top. Uh, well, easy no. Easy again, no. if you got rid of fetch lands, you could allow top. Also, just don't like what it does to games of magic. Yeah. <laughs> it takes way too long. Yeah. Right, uh, Simeon Spirit Guide. Fine. Yeah, I think this one's completely fine. Completely fine. It'll be in the colorless decks, most likely, too, by the way. All right. Uh, Skull Clamp. Not fine. Yep. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of there, too. Uh, I think it's not fine. Like, you know, you're going to have too many ways to find it, you know, and stuff like that. And the games that it's going to be in, it's going to be really, really annoying, right? Splinter Twin. This is, this is gonna. This is the, one of the most interesting ones. Um, I would say no. I, I'm leaning towards no as well. Just just because of the same yeah, reasons I said earlier. It's just it it ends a game immediately and it's just not fun. Yeah. Plus, banning it will game. anger the people that are, mm-hmm. are still mm-hmm. pining over its ban and modern. So, and I, I'm happy angering those people. There's like the one person in the back of my mind that's sadistic. That's just like, yeah, I get fucked. Yeah. Um, summer bloom. Um, how good would this be? It seems fine. Even when you can, like, go find it a lot? Like, what if they play a bunch of transmute cards and shit? Again, we ban tutor effects, Tannen! But that's the thing, like, what's a tutor effect? You can't just ban tutor effects. Yeah, you can. No, I... I yeah, I you just, can! Ban them all! I think it might be easier to, to ban some of the offensive cards. The tutors are the offensive cards. I agree with you, but... Get them out! Yeah. No tutoring! Okay, okay well... well, well I think Stoneforge Mystic is a completely okay card. Mm. Gotcha. Gotcha. If, like, again, simplicity is valuable. I'm okay I mean, losing I a few... Sol- I think Solemn Simulacrum is a perfectly fine I'm, card. I'm okay losing a few cards in the crosshairs. No, I'm By not. just disallowing all I'm tutoring. Not. I'm not. I think Solemn's fine. I think, uh... It'll, it will also make gameplay faster because you don't have to shuffle. You just disallow all forms of tutoring. Let people ramp with their Elvish Reclaimers when I play and their mana creatures. I'm on turn four and pick my deck up. I just say go, do your thing. And their Explorers and Growth Spirals. Like, there's enough sure. things. Okay. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm interested. I, I'm saying no, usually, on Summer Bloom. Just because it's a, it's one of those cards. It's just like, eh, whatever. Um, Tybalt's Trickery. Uh, the Cascade decks won't be good, so that's fine. Yeah, I, I'm leaning towards fine, even though the card's just annoying. You know what I mean? Uh, what was Amaz Jete? Fine. Card's not even good. Damn, Okay. Uro, Titan of Nature's Wrath. Um, this is another really annoying card. Yeah, we've we've leaned towards now. We're, at, yeah. we're just like now. Again, like it, it, even if it's not going to be like super busted, it still just homogenizes gameplay. The, the thing is, I also don't like cards that we. we th- this was kind of where we went with this. If I had to write a paragraph about it, you know, like in the let's say we make a website for this, right? And we write a paragraph about it. The reason that I would say no to Uro is the same reason that I would say no to a few of the other cards, like Oko and stuff like that, is, like, it creates a sub-game where the game now becomes about this and no longer the typical game that you're playing of Magic. You get what I'm saying? It's, like, very impactful. Planeswalkers, which, like, some of them are good. That's fine. 
you know, like my Jun deck has Liliana the Veil. You know, we haven't seen that in a while, right? You know, my blue decks have had a Jace the Mind Sculptor in it. We haven't seen that in a while, but they haven't proved to be too powerful, you know, and stuff. So, but when like you play Uro and then you've got Uro in your graveyard and then you play Uro again and then you play Uro again, right? It like now we're getting to the point where you're kind of circumventing the the idea of the format where you're trying to play different games every game. But in every game that you play Uro or every game that you play uh, Oko, it just becomes about that and that alone. And I don't like circumventing the idea and the spirit of the format. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. And the last one was, we could skip its Fault of Whispers, because obviously you're you're okay with the Artifact Lands, right? That was your verdict? Yeah. All right. What do you think so far? How do you um, feel about it? So you'd, the, you'd play, right? If I like showed up and like handed you. Yeah, a as long as it's one v one. Yeah. The I thing I dislike most there. about Commander is playing a four player game of Magic. So, the two things I dislike about Commander the most is is the multiplayer aspect of it because like I just it, it does not hit for me. I don't like when people make really random decisions that just seem wrong. Like there's so much there. I don't like the yeah. politics in it where people are like I won't attack you if you don't attack me. I'm like, what, why are we even playing? Like, why are we even playing this? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and, like that. and then two, the thing, it's funny. The thing that I hate the most about Commander is the Commanders. Because, like, we're playing this 100-card singleton deck that's supposed to be like, oh, it's cool, you know, I might draw this card, I might not. But, like, the Commanders just make all the games exactly the same. And I'm sure yeah. people at home are going to be like, you're just wrong. And I'm like, yes, I'm very aware that I'm just wrong at lost spots. But for me, I don't like it. When I'm playing 100-card singleton, I want my games to be different. You know, I want to, like, feel like I'm playing cube. I want to feel like I'm playing a weird form of limited. Is it, you know? e even if your draw is in such a way that you know you're not going to play the commander, your opponents don't know that. So, like, the way I'm setting up is always going to be informed by the threat of you being able exactly. to cast that if commander. You have a four mana commander, I'm planning yeah. on you when you, the first time you have four mana is playing that commander, and I'm playing against that, yeah. you know, kind of thing. And then, like, the other, and, like, to, to kind of backtrack about, like, the thing I don't like, I don't like that my game gets affected by a decision that player C made with player D and I'm player A. You get what I'm saying? And so like now my game is affected by these two people and I have no say whatsoever in what's going on here. That's for other people. Y'all do it. It's your format. I'm completely okay with it. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. I'm saying it's not for me. It's what I don't like. And that's why it led to this. And this just seems super fun to me. Uh, the games have been absurdly fun. So far, obviously, it's magic, so you have a couple of the games where, like, you keep a two-lander, you don't draw a land, and you're dead. But we're not playing for anything, we're just playing for fun and for pride. And it's, I've been having a really good time, and then it's a really good exercise in deck building, Ross. Like, you know, trying to find all the right spots, you know, like, trying to get everything to work correctly. And then even then, it's like, it's kind of hard to see if you're right without playing a ton of games and stuff, too, so. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, Commander has existed for almost 20 years at this point, and they still don't have it right because Sol Ring is still legal. Yeah, and, like, that was, like, the kind of thing, right? It's, like, I've, I've kind of compared some of these cards to Sol Ring where I'm, like, you know, people are, like, in a vacuum, Sol Ring's okay. And I'm, like, yeah, but, like, have you played a game where the, the person going first plays Sol Ring and no one interacts with it over the next two turns? Those <laughs> games aren't fun to me. No. You know, and then, like, some of these cards lean towards that, right? Like... Like, you know, when I think of Field of the Dead, A, it's going to be in too many decks because every deck can trigger Field of the Dead unless you're, like, mono-red or something or mono-white. And then even yeah. then, you could probably still trigger it. But, like, all it's going to be is this is in my deck. I'm just putting as many lands as I can in play anyway, which is good because I'm going to do other stuff too. And then the first person to Field of Dead and start triggering it, like, then now the game has inevitability. Yeah. 
And that, it also means like every deck is going to have to have Field of Ruin and ways to answer the Field of the Dead. It, yeah, yes. And, oh, it's just the way very it affects annoying. everything. Is, is yeah, exactly. Like you, you took it the step further that I want to do is like now you know every deck has this sub game in it that I don't like. And, yeah. And someone's like, oh, that's Planeswalkers. I'm like, yeah, but you don't have to put LD in your deck to stop a Planeswalker. You can bolt yeah. it. You can you can vindicate it. You can attack it. Yeah. You can play Bloodbraid Elf. You know what I mean? I'm playing Bloodbraid Elf this format. It's great. It's fun. You know, like it's great. Like you know, counter spell it. You know, like. Mana leak it. I've been playing mana leak in a lot of my blue decks because it's pretty damn good in this format. Yeah, you know, yeah. You know, there's you're pretty there's a, a wide variety of ways to interact with Planeswalkers. Yeah, so I've been super happy. With, yeah, most of my most of my removal has been just like the very good ubiquitous removal. Like a lot of the uh, you know like the black white cards that have come out over the last couple vanishing couple, bursts. And, yeah, or like there's one that's like you know kill something that costs four or more. I'm like that one. I think is just good yeah, enough because of what it is. Yeah, like yeah, exactly. Unmake is in there. Vindicate. Um, the Mardu Sacrifice deck has the... There's a new black-white one. I forgot what it is, but it's like... You sacrifice a creature, I think, and it exiles a permanent. Yeah. Or something it, like that. And it flashes back, right? Yeah, and, it flash, and it's like a non-land permanent flashback. I'm like, yeah, this card's fucking great. Yeah. You know, I'm like, yeah, sacrifice my Doom Traveler. Kill your Jace the Mind Sculptor. Oh, wait, hold on. Let me put my token in play. You know, kind of thing. And, and that deck has all the blood artist type cards you know it has blood artist as zillapore cutthroat i'm playing judith like Are how you long since it's bastion of remembrance yeah well i, I need to f i don't have one that's the problem it's like a five dollar gun comments i'm like Is it? i'm like or yeah because like it was in Akoria and like no one opened Akoria. and then cards like that are always expensive anyway like they've printed a blood artist into the ground same thing with like zillapore cutthroat it's been reprinted multiple times like these are fine bastion remembrance has one printing as far as i know it might be in some supplemental thing that i don't know but you know what i'm saying stuff like that and like yeah. I'm thinking about playing like Falcon Wrath Aristocrat, you know, like the two-two flyer for four, just as to make sure because uh, I don't have a copy of um, Meat Hook Massacre, and that card's like fifty dollars, so I don't want to go like spend fifty dollars for, for for this right now because Meat Hook Massacre is in that deck is good enough just to play as a as a two drop, like just as an enchantment that does the Blood Artist thing. It really actually is, and then it has the ability of like, oh, I don't have a bunch of creatures to play or mine do stuff when they die, and my opponent play creatures, all right, I'll meat hook for two, I get a ton of value, and you take a million, you know, and I gain a bunch. Because, like, that card's great in that deck. So I'm probably just going to proxy a meat hook. Because, again, I don't care if you proxy in this format, you know? You get gold-bordered versions of cards, play them. Who cares, you know? Yeah. We're not playing for anything. Have fun. So this format's great. Uh, we'll be taking submissions for naming the format. If anybody wants to, and uh, we'll talk about this in the MTG Rants uh, Discord. If you're not in the Discord, feel free to, you know, at me on Twitter. As of right now, it's got the same name of every time I do this. I always call them TGIF, Tan and Grace's Invented Format. It works. Think about it. It works. My suggestion is Type Ross. Type Ross? I actually yeah. kind of like that. I don't know why, <laughs> but I kind of like that. You could also like, call it Type R. Type R? Mm-hmm. Because, like, I actually... I. I I love the the, the the harken back of like type 1.5, you know, type 2, yeah. and so like that. And like, for people at home, standard used to be called type 2, and then what was type 1? Was that vintage at the time? Type 1 was vintage, 1.5 yeah. was legacy, 1.x right. was extended. Yeah, and then it got too complicated. I remember someone was like, you want to play some type 4? And I'm like, what is that? <laughs> like, so you know? technically, uh, type 2, type 1, and type 1.x were the only supported ones. Legacy was just a community format that started as just being... We're playing vintage, but with all the restricted cards banned. And uh, in 2005, Watsi decided to officially support the format. And in doing so, uh, I don't know why, but they decided to give all the formats official names. And that's when it became standard legacy extended vintage. Uh, and not and, modern, and that's when they, they have that. That's yet, when the yeah. ban lists got separated. 
Uh, and there was a, so there was a separate legacy ban list uh, from vintage and the and the restricted list. That's also when portal and starter cards became tournament legal. Mm-hmm. Was was fall of 05. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, lots of cool things going on there. I'm really excited we got to talk about the draws because I've been here's the thing. When I, when I first got the uh, the idea for this and was talking to uh, you know Kess on social media, he actually like played a game of it on stream or two with somebody like over webcam, and I just loved it. Like I loved the idea, and I just kind of like went with it and kind of had it in the back of my head. And then uh, I've been really bored lately with like not a lot to do. Like I had a couple you know days off where I was doing nothing, and I needed to resort my collection anyway. So I was just like, all right, screw it. I just started sleeving up decks, you know. Like I had a couple you know piles of 100 card you know 100 sleeves sitting around and i was like all right i'm just i'm sleeving this stuff up so uh i'm becoming casual ross i, I it's, it's happening it's slowly happening i'm becoming a casual he's shaking his head for a minute at home either die young or live long enough to become the villain i mean have you seen have you seen britain he's like almost pure casual now, even though he did win an rc gear the other day but like, <laughs> you see the decks that he posts like half the time in our in our chat it's like here's my commander deck and i'm like i don't know what half these cards do like literally oh, i'm looking man. at them i, didn't I, know, I know they're all green and black but yeah. <laughs> i don't know what they do yeah what's the, what's, what's the color that's, that's, oh there's a blue there's blue in it this week yeah. <laughs> all right and um another thing that we wanted to talk about this week we don't always talk about this kind of stuff on the show, but we wanted to bring it up. I know you had some 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 stuff that you wanted to speak on with the subject, and we always call this the discourse. If you uh, if you're part of the website, which is Twitter, and the conversations that happen in there, it seems like it's not every day, but like every other day, Magic Twitter like has a subject. They either they either have a villain, like Twitter usually yeah. does. There's okay, every day there's a main person on Twitter, and the goal is to never be that person, right? And so in Magic Twitter, every day there's a main subject on Twitter, and the goal is to not be involved in that in that discussion. But we've, we've seen a lot of this, and the discourse the last couple of days was, what deck should you be playing in events coming up? Should you be playing the best deck, or should you be playing a deck you like? And this is a conversation that you and I, we, over the years that we've done the show, uh, over the years of you writing articles, same with me, anything, we've had a lot of discussions on this, but I know that you had some stuff that you wanted to add here, and kind of just like put everything together you know give everybody just like a, a statement at home yeah um you know I, I this discourse has actually been going on in magic for a, a long time a long time yeah yeah uh I, I think most people that have been around magic for as long as we have understand that most of the twitter discourse is just rehashing arguments that we had 10 or 15 years ago but i, I think for a long time there was a certain uh uh mode of thought um that you know, was just sort of accepted as fact in the Magic community um, where, you know, for any given tournament, there was a best deck. And the goal was to play that deck. You know, the, the right choice and the right list of that deck with the right sideboard and the right plans. And that would maximize your chances of winning. Um, and, you know, it, it to, to a certain extent, it makes sense. But I think it, it's a reductive way of thinking about it because it assumes all players are the same or at least assumes that they all should be so that you know if, if you brought up the idea that well you know certain players have strengths and weaknesses you know i might be better at playing aggressive decks or worse at playing control decks and so on uh you know better with certain types of, of sideboard plans and and worse with others and the response to that you know that point was always well if you're not good enough to be playing the best deck then you need to work on it and uh, you know, you, you and you should at least just, you know, work on it until you can. And if you lose more in the short term, that's fine because you'll get paid off in the long term. 
Uh, So, you know, you always needed to be expanding your range until you could effectively play every single deck at an incredibly high level, at an elite level. Uh, And that should be your goal as a Magic player. I think that that line of thinking is somewhat arrogant to assume that everyone can be, you know, a perfect Magic player. Like, we do all have strengths and weaknesses. And we're also operating under, you know, a limited amount of time. (laughs) So the, the goal, you know... Unless you're assuming that you know you're going to be playing Magic tournaments for you know hundreds of years, you know beyond a regular lifespan, like how long would it take for you for any individual to master everything? You know, impossible question to answer. Um, and it does matter to like maximize your your value in the short term, right? Um, because you you know you never know when Pro Magic is going to completely die, like it did two, you know two years ago. It almost did, yeah, yeah, much um, did, yeah. You know, not completely, but you know, significantly downgraded. So. Uh, and you know we've in my know, opinion it, it died it died for people like you and me yeah and like what, what you know what do, what do you say to people that were you know ex, ex, working on expanding their range in you know 2017 or whatever the year was that just got you into the MPL right like the first first MPL was just the, the top 32 ranked people from the previous year so like if you spent that year you know maximizing your range you got really punished uh, that that's all secondary stuff um, but, you know, my main point is, like, people really do have strengths and weaknesses. And we accept this in basically every other competitive endeavor. Like, nobody tells Rudy Gobert that he needs to learn to shoot threes. Like, <laughs> and, and because he has strength, he has, you know, significant strengths in other areas of the game, and you can build around that. You know, any, let's go get out of a team sport, you know, the individual sport I know the most about, tennis. You know, individual people have different strengths and weaknesses, and you build your tactics around those strengths and we- strengths and weaknesses. We should be doing the same thing in Magic. And, uh, you know, I think it, it is arrogant to assume that, you know, you can't, that every single person can become this incredibly wide-ranging player. You know, one, we have examples of people who keep playing the same deck over and over again and have significant success at the highest levels, like Guillaume Wafatapa, uh, you know, as, as the one most readily available to the top of my head. Um, now, now, I'm not going to say that every single person should be a complete specialist. I, I think some amount of range is important, but th- there's a level of balance to this. So I think you should have enough range that you don't get completely obliterated if the metagame turns against you. You know, Wafatapa fell off the train at one point because there was like a year and change there where control decks were just bad, like consistently bad in every metagame, and he refused to adapt. So you need to at least be somewhat adaptable, right? But as long as you reach the, uh, to me, that's not, uh, you know, there's a concept in engineering of, as the difference between a constraint and a, um, and I don't want to, can't remember what the other term was, but it's like a constraint and an, and a, and, and an objective or something. Uh, and the constraint is something that, that you have to meet, but once you meet it, like that's fine. There's just a minute. There's sort of a baseline there, and the, and the objectives or whatever the term was, are those are the things you're trying to optimize within the bounds set by the constraints. To me, range is a constraint. Mm-hmm. You need to be able to have enough range so that as the metagame shifts, you don't get you don't get completely left behind. But once you have that that minimum amount of range, you really don't need that much more. And, and sure, having more is, is a good thing, uh, and if you want to work on that, that's fine, but you shouldn't be working on that at the detriment of, of other aspects of your game, uh, at least in my opinion. And then, you know, beyond that, I think it's best to become, you know, a master within your range. 
you know, be the always have the best agar list or best control list or best mid range list. Uh, you know, always know when to switch off of it because you, you know you're so good with the, with the things that you're good at. I, I would rather be an expert at two things than just good at five things, right? Mm. Mm. But I would rather be good at five things than an expert in exactly one thing. Um, because then you're at the whims of the metagame. Uh, so that's the, that's the way I've, I've always thought about it. Um, you know, have it and, you know, this idea that if you're not playing four color, you know, Omnath decks in modern, you're making a mistake. I also think is wrong. Uh, so, you know, there's obviously people that are going to be really good with other decks. If you've been playing Hammer for a long time, you know, if you were playing it when Loris was around and you're really, really good at that deck, like that deck is more than capable of winning. You know, in high level magic, the difference between the best deck and like the fifth best deck is a small number of percentage points, percentage points that are easily made up by the fact that you are significantly better with those decks. And it would take you a huge amount of work probably to get those percentage points with four color. And, you know, so, you know, I, I generally think I, you, you're better off continuing to play Hammer unless the metagame is really bad for it. You know, have something else in your back pocket. And if that other thing is going to be four color, sure, put in some work with it. Because once you become an expert with, you know, with, you know, one or two decks, you can usually leave them alone for a little while and work on some other things. And then if you decide, oh, I need to go back to one of these decks that I'm comfortable with, you know, spend a couple days brushing up on it, getting your list set for whatever the metagame is that weekend, you can do that pretty quickly. And that's the benefit of having that expertise in a few different things is then you can devote some time to expanding your range, but you don't want to, you know, you know, you don't want to be caught up in this idea that there's always an exact 75 that I that everyone should be playing. You know, there's a, there's a 75 that probably you should be playing, and you know that that's an. I also think that's oftentimes an impossible thing to you know figure out because there's so much variance. You can't go based on you know the results of of how, whether you won or lost. You also can't go by just based on the decks that you played. You can't necessarily go by the the metagame that showed up. You would have to, you know, develop a very complicated model based on, you know, what showed up, what started doing well in each round, you know, how likely were you to get into each bracket, what is your, you know, expected win percentage in each bracket, and, and then, you know, run a, a sort of Monte Carlo simulation where you run through this tournament 10,000 times and see how well you do and compare those distributions. And that's just not the an amount of work that is worth it in competitive magic. You're not going to be able to do that. So, you know, the, a lot of these questions are impossible to answer with the resources that we have. And with that, that impossibility is even more of an argument to default to your comfort zone. So to me, it's just, you know, have enough of a, you know, like I said, have enough of a range that you are not destroyed if your, you know, deck or type of deck, you know, becomes bad for a period of time. But, you know, don't think that, whatever deck everybody's talking about on the website as being great or whatever deck won last week is the deck you have to play absolutely regardless of any other factors. Like I think the biggest thing that, that can help people, you know, when playing magic is have a good understanding of what your strengths and weaknesses are. And that doesn't mean that you don't work to, you know, uh, cover up some of those weaknesses, but you should also be working to accentuate your strengths. That's just as important. So don't, mm -hmm. don't neglect one for the other. And I think we talk way too often in Magic about trying to cover for weaknesses and not often enough about how do we best accentuate our strengths. 
I think it's a really good point. And I think you hit like all the aspects that need to be hit because like there's there's a lot of conversation on both ends, right? And you know, everybody's going to have like difference of opinions, but I, I think you really like, really kind of nailed it there. Yeah. And a lot of the stuff that I would personally say. And, and right? there's there's a little, there's obviously like, you know, not a lot of nuance in the discourse by nature of what Twitter is and, and the medium right. that we're talking in. So Plus a lot of know, people are just going to start yelling. <laughs> yeah, and you you know, 280 characters at a time. So uh, you know, fortunately, in, in this that? medium, we, we have a little bit more of an opportunity to break it down and bring some nuance here. Uh, so, you know, uh, hopefully I, I was able to do that in an understandable way. But uh, I, I will offer this thing when it comes about it. When I look at best deck versus deck you like, right? Like when I look at it purely as that, when I think of the better results that I had in my career, when I think of like those two, you know, that year and a half, two years that I spent, like, going to the majority of the SCG Opens and doing pretty well, honestly. Like, I had that one year where, like, I top-aided half the Opens I played in, you know? I had eight or nine top-aids in one year, you know, some absurd number. One of the big things for me was I stopped trying to feel smart at every event and, like, you know, being like, I'm so smart, I played this great meta deck, right? It was, like, the, the best call to play this weekend. And I just started playing very, very powerful decks, Decks that were just very, very good. Like, if you look at the decks that I top aided with, you know, you're like, obviously people are going to laugh, but, like, Tron was very good when I played it. Like, very good. It was secretly probably, like, one of, if not the best deck in Modern. Just, especially in the fields that we were playing, you know? Yeah. It was good enough it, to just get you to top eight every time. I mean, even when I was, you know, playing a bunch of Phoenix and the deck was doing really well, Tron was one of the decks I was scared of. I because... beat the shit out of the Phoenix matchup. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, I used to just, I used to win, like, 60, 70% of my matches against Phoenix. You know, yeah, something good. it was definitely one of the scariest matchups. Um, and playing against, like, the good players and stuff, too, you know? Um, you know, I think of that. I think of, like, you know, the versions of Delver that I played. You know, mono blue shitters, that one tournament. You know, I played it, you know, you went to a finals with it. That open that I played it in, it was, like, absurdly well positioned. And stuff like that, you know, it was just very, very, very good, right? And... I'm, I'm missing some decks. Oh, the green red, uh, the green red monstrosity deck thing that I played in Houston or whatever. Like, where I literally hadn't played Magic in years, made multiple mistakes through the tournament, and easily walked into top eight. It was the best deck in the room by a very large margin, and so like that. And so, there is a little give and take, right? You know, if you're super good with the deck, like obviously play that deck. You know, if it's good enough to win, play it. But like, there's a reason why the best decks are the best decks. And I will tell you this: most of the time, that there's been a best deck in a format. And I've played a deck that's like, I think it's good enough to beat it, you know, blah, blah, blah. And like, in your mind, you're like, yeah, yeah, like, I, I win games against this deck. It's like, do you win enough of them, though? Because you're going to play against it a lot, kind of yeah. thing. And it's like, almost every single time I've done that, I've regretted afterwards not just playing the best deck. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that, it, that you know, you that point do doesn't this. happen. Yeah. You know, yeah. it was wrong to not play Hogak, you know, when, when Hogak was around. I actually played it in like one or two events and immediately like round two of the first event that I played it, and I was just like, I was such an idiot. Like, in my mind, I'm like, I'm such an idiot. Like, this deck is just unfucking real Yeah. Like, so, you know, but those, those are the broken metagames. Those are the exception, yeah. not the rule. Yes. Now, there is something to be said. There are, I should say, that there's a fine line between saying this is the best deck for me and using that as an excuse just to play a bad deck. And that does happen quite a bit. And that's why being honest with yourself is really important and understanding your strengths and weaknesses because you can very easily cross over to the other side of the line. The, the way I usually think about it is that instead of like th there is a best deck, I think there is a usually that top tier of decks 
and I'll try to figure out that top tier and pick whichever, you know, is, I think is going to be best for me from within that top group. Because I, I know that there, there will be one that I can be very comfortable with and play in, at, at an elite level, you know, at least one, hopefully, uh, within that top tier. So I don't need to dip, you know, further down, but, um, you know, I I don't I'm not always just searching for like exactly what I think the best positioned archetype is because oftentimes like that archetype is something that I know I'm not going to play well uh you know I I tend to stay away from big sorcery speed decks that are still somewhat reactive so like tap out yeah. control decks and mid range decks you know if if I'm tapping out on my turn I want to be very proactive about it and be putting my opponent under the pressure I don't want to be tapping out and, and just being like well I hope they don't have this card you know but that I'm leaving myself vulnerable to so like when I play control decks it's usually of that draw go style with a lot of counter spells um you know in in the rare times that I actually do uh so uh, you know I it takes some time to develop that understanding of yourself uh but th- that's what I like in, instead of you know working on expanding my range the first thing I, I would tell people to do is like, you know, get have a, you know that sort of honest assessment of yourself. And if you need to, like, talk with the people around you, you know, that they can help you see some of your blind spots there. Um, Good point. And, and uh, you know, make sure that you have. You know, you want to have some that bread and butter that you can always turn to that you're really good at first. Like you can't you can't expand your range if you don't have you know that first point. That that and that first deck that you're really good with, you know, there's nothing to expand from at that point. So you you kind of have to be a specialist first, and then you can expand from that. No, absolutely. I think that's a really really good point. And you know, you made a really good point in there too. Is like sometimes we don't we're not 100 percent sure what the best archetype is or what the best deck is, but sometimes we are. And when that is, that like, the conversation kind of changes. You know, there's a lot of arguments on like what's the best deck or what's the best archetype. But I know one argument that we can't have is what's the best place to get men's grooming products and i know where that is and that's at barrister and man make sure you check them out it's barrister and man man with two ends that's our lovely lovely sponsor for our stream one of the best places for you to find all of your shaving grooming extra needs uh i'm a big big fan of their soaps and their shaving soaps so make sure you check that out a lot of cool new scents coming out it's barrister and man Dot com. Ross, what's the code? I know you're flabbergasted I, right now. I don't know but. whether to be impressed or horrified at that segue. Both. both. Yeah, it is it a was, mixture was, of both. It was really good. So yeah. Just, and I, just, but I, I don't like that it was really good. That, <laughs> it's almost like it's my job. Yeah. Uh, but that code is MTGRANTS2022 for 15% off of your purchase. I almost wrote it down. I almost wrote in the chat because, like, uh, for people at home, we have a thing where we could talk to each other without talking to each other. We have like a, a little screen where we could see it, send a message to each other. I almost wrote, "You're gonna love this." Like, <laughs> like I, didn't, I, didn't, I, I didn't want to build it up. I that. guarantee it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know what else you're gonna love? Barrister and Man. The way you, you smell and the way that you look after it. So it's Barrister and Man with two ends. Dot com. You know so, what they uh, say: smell like a champion, play like a champion. Oh yeah, obviously I say that every time before. Every tournament. Yeah, exactly. So make sure you check them out. Uh, we did have a couple uh, mailbag questions this week that I think are actually really good. So I wanted to get into them because there's a chance one or two of them take a little bit of time here. So I want to make sure that we give them the uh, necessary uh, attention that they need. The first one is from our lovely editor Brent Wagner. Brent says, "In tournament magic, instead of doing grueling tiebreaker math for top eight or whatever, would you prefer that all player or players with the same match points?" as the eight seed qualify for top eight entry. For example, the seven seed has the same match points as the 12 seed. 
there's an additional round that's the top eight qualifier. 12 seed would play the five seed, 11 versus the six, 10 versus seven, eight versus nine, and top four don't have to play and are locked for top eight. Um, I think that gets oddly complicated. Agreed. And you're still going to have tiebreakers matter because then you're wondering, like, well, how many people are going to finish X2? And then that determines how many buys we get. So it determines where that that you're just moving the line as to yeah. where tiebreakers matter. Um, so you're not, you know, you're not 100% accomplishing that goal. Uh, and so, you know, I would just keep it the way it is. Uh, you know, obviously, I, I have a bit of a, you know, different perspective on this based on the fact that I have, you know, a background in math. So this like tiebreaker stuff has always come quite easily to me. Um, uh, I've often been the person that like, you know, my, fr- my friends come to and they're like, Ross, can I draw? Can I draw? Um, and so to me, like it's, it's never really been that much of, of a hindrance, but it's always going to be there. And so, you know, you're, you're just moving, you know, you're just changing which people have to worry about it, you know, from the people who are on the borderline of making the, the elimination rounds to the people who are now on the borderline of having a buy because there's, you know, an odd, there could be an odd number of people. Um, and then you have, do you just give out the one buy because then it might come down on before, or if, if there's 11 people, do you now have to give out buys to the top five so that you create a 16 person bracket that goes evenly? And that's usually how they do it in single alien brackets, but you know, you're giving out five buys now. So now the different, now it's the difference between fifth and sixth. So, uh, you know, that, that then creates people that are, you know, you're probably just discouraged drawing at the top tables entirely at that point which maybe is a good thing, but you're still going to have, you know, t- tiebreaker differences making a-, a huge impact. It's just the nature of tournament magic. You know, just learn how to do it. Essentially, all you have to look at is how many people can possibly make top eight, which is people that are, you know, X1 or X11 or better. And then look at the tiebreakers for people who are X11 versus the people that are X1 and could potentially draw. And if you've got a pretty significant lead, usually five to 10 points, you're pretty safe to draw over them and depend on that lead holding. Smaller, you know, it's, it, then it gets, as I get, as that gap decreases, you know, you're, you're taking a bigger risk. Uh, and you can make that decision as to whether you want to take that risk or not. And then, you know, from that, you can figure out how many people can draw and then who has to play it out. Generally speaking, you're, you're usually in one of two scenarios where you have, 10 or 11 people that could potentially make it or 12 or 13 people and we're as a nine or 10 or 11 or 12 and in, and the nine or 10 situation you're it's top uh, six are safely drawn and then seven and eight and nine and 10 are playing the last two matches to make it in you know if 10 is is an x2 that can't make it then you're depending on the nine to win that match you could you know go one draw further um well i guess eight still couldn't draw but but if your bracket of relevant people is, is 11 or 12 players, then it's top four drawing and five, six play, seven, eight play, nine, 10 play, 11, 12 play for the last four spots. So it generally boils down to one of those two situations and the X one ones, which is happening a lot in modern recently because of these heinously slow four color players, um, you know, <laughs> then, then you got to do some comparisons of, you know, where their breakers are going to fall. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the, uh, what, is it, what are they called? The, the qualifying dream hack events recently? What they've been doing is uh, they don't actually cut to a top eight. They cut to a top 12. And the eight seeded players that aren't one, two, three, and four play the first round of top eight. So they play a top eight. 
and then the one, two, three, and four seats are just like into the yeah. The, so you're just like twelve bucket. in and giving four people a buy, and you create right. a sixteen person bracket at that point. Yeah, but and that that's just moving where the tiebreaker line is going to be. Yeah, I kind of like it though in the way that um, it kind of like incentivizes playing the last round more. And, you know, that's what they're doing. They're trying to make less draws happen in the last round, or just one of the things they're doing to accomplish this. is like, yeah. they're trying to make less draws happen in the last round than they have now without, outla- without outlawing the draw, which is something in Paper Magic that, like, I think you just can't do. Like, you, with the way that we've had this our whole life, like, changing that. Like, I'm not saying they can't. It would just be, like, really bad and awkward, I think. Not, yeah, not- it's just something that you can't let, you know, like, you can't legislate effectively. Yeah, exactly. That's a good word to put it there. You, you, know, know. you can't legislate this correctly. Because yeah, there, way to put it. there's the only time you can do that is with things like the MPL, where it's just like, you know, you write it into the contract and, and you know, create a, a you have to create an incentive not to draw. And in, in that case, it was a monetary incentive, like we're paying you money, so don't draw. Um, and, you know, the, the the top 12 thing is is creating a tur- an incentive that's built into the tournament structure. Like, you know, uh, it, the, the seating, you know, Play draw based on seeding. That was a change that was made ten years ago. That was meant to encourage less drawing. Turns out that that's not enough of an of an incentive. You know, people will only play for that if they're completely locked. Um, and uh, but the you know the top twelve. That's definitely a, a way to to make it more interesting. Uh, you still might see you know some draws, but you'll definitely see fewer. So I, I think doing like thing doing things like that to reduce draws is fine. But that's not going to take tiebreakers out of it. You're just, again just moving the line, and now you're creating a bunch of X twos that are log jammed. Probably, uh, I don't know exactly how those tournaments work. I, those are like long ones, right? So it's not X twos, but you know, instead of the line, at, you know, if the line was X Y and one to make top eight, you know, X Y plus one is the, the you know now the line to make top twelve. Uh, if that makes sense to anyone, mm, to, if exactly. I wanted, if I want to do it algebraically. I'm just I'm I kind of like it honestly like the yeah. you know, I haven't experienced it personally yet and I'm like let me go through that and see how I feel you know kind of thing but I've been doing some coverage for these events and like I, I kind of really like it honestly like you know we've seen more drama at the end of the tournament because I'll tell you this one thing that I like about it without getting in too much of the minutia because there's things that I don't like but one of the things I like about flesh and blood is draws don't give you points and so the people are playing out the last round and you get some very good matches in the last round like high stake like you know really good matches between good players and you're just getting a little bit more of that in magic so from a coverage standpoint it's pretty great because i'll tell you this the last round of like 14 round tournaments and 15 round tournaments and whatever you know you can you can find some like not duds but it's it's hard to find a match that matters you're going down to like table six to find a match that matters you know yeah. it's like well you know, this player can make it in, or it's a win-in for both, or this player makes it in with a win, but, like, the other person doesn't, but they still need to play because they're playing, you know, $1,000 or whatever, so... Yeah, the, the top 12 certainly helps with that, because then you're going to get either people playing to make the cutoff or people playing to get that buy, uh, and, and both of those are interesting. So uh, I do like it from that perspective, but you're never really going to get rid of tiebreakers because it, when you, you can't just say, you know, you can't have an unpredictable number of people in the elimination rounds. That that is just makes for very awkward tournaments, uh, and, and you need that kind of consistency. You need that expectation, and you know both from a player's perspective and from the TO's perspective. Like you know, if you suddenly now get you know seventeen people, there are challenges where the X two bracket. You know, you'll have one make make the top eight, 
and then the bracket goes down to 22. So, you know, yeah, do we just do we just add an extra yeah, two hours to the tournament? Yeah, like, you're adding an extra two rounds to the tournament and, and 40 other matches that have to get played uh, like that. That's just not tenable. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. All right. The next one I think is going to take a little bit of time, too. This is from Revan Christ. A lot of really good questions from him. All right. What was some of the best food you've had while traveling? What kind of go back and forth a little bit, Ross, because there's going to be more than one answer to these. So do you want me to go first? Um, sure. Because I had one recently. Yeah, you know, I went to Vegas for a calling for Flesh and Blood. Got to go to Lotus SIM. Obviously, just utterly amazing. Lo- yeah, uh, Lotus is a, incredible. That's definitely a good it call. It had actually been a while for me, too. I had been to Vegas two other times recently where I did not go to Lotus. But I made sure to go to Lotus. And I got uh, the Crispy Duck Penang. It's my favorite meal probably in the entire world. And you always run the gambit, right? Like, you think, like, hey, it's my favorite meal. It's great. Like, you have such high expectations. And, like, it can let you down when you get into that point. But, thankfully... Lotus never lets down. It's amazing. Plus, it, let me say at least one other one in Vegas that I've been going to recently, mostly because of my great friend Jonathan Joe being able to always get us reservations, and most of the time it's comped. Um, there is this place called Amalfi, and it's obviously named for the Amalfi Coast. It's a Bobby Flay restaurant that's in Caesars. It's, like, relatively new. You know, it was new at the uh, end of, like, last year when we went for the first time. I remember the first time I saw it, I tried to go in, and they like they're like, hey, we're not actually open to the public yet. You know, they were seating the people who worked there and stuff. Um, probably a top five meal lifetime every time I've been there. That that good. Service was insane, too. Remember, the second time we went, and we don't live there anymore. The second time we went, uh, we didn't have the same server, but our server from the first time we were there, the waitress that we had the first time we were there, came over and said hi to us and remembered some of our names. That That's just how good that service and stuff and how good the food and stuff there is. And I was like, this is unreal. Also, like... Gordon Ramsay was in the restaurant when we were there once, and like that's when you know a place is like off the off the rails. Yeah, yeah he was just sitting like a table over from us. I was like, this is unreal. All right, anyway, go ahead. Um, so, uh, Reading Terminal Market in Philly is always a highlight. I have something to add to this if you don't mind. Sure. Reading, great, right? Uh, it almost runs into the problem of it has too many options because the place is just packed and huge and has so much stuff. When it comes to markets like that. My favorite, I actually like one a little bit better, but it's more condensed and smaller. And that's one of was it Columbus? North Market, yeah. Yeah, North Market. I actually like just a little bit more. I'm, I'm going to make some friends with that comment, I'm sure. Yeah. They're, no, they're, they're, they're comparable. Yeah, they're both very, very, very I, good. I would say within Reading Terminal Market, the Denick's Roast Pork Sandwich. Oh, yeah. Uh, the the Pastrami Sandwich at uh, at Herschel's, the de- the New York Deli. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the The... the the chicken place is actually really good. Their Thanksgiving sandwich is great. Um, the Cajun place does andouille egg and cheese on a long baguette. That is awesome. That was that was my go to breakfast for years. That sounds amazing. The uh, uh, sticky buns from the Amish bakery are incredible, and the crepe place is always yes. really good. The desserts there are amazing. Yeah, North Market. They have a, a full, like, vegetarian place that just has, like, yes. six different entrees that change regularly, and you just get, like, a plate of them, and, you know, two a plate of two costs X amount, three costs some amount. Uh, that is great. Right across from that is the Polish deli, and their pierogies are amazing. Um, the Tibetan dumpling place, Momo. Uh, Momo is the name of the dumpling. Uh, that was great. Uh, and the, the pasta place is really good. The Belgian the the Belgian waffle place also used to be great. That closed. That was unfortunate. Unfortunate, yeah. 
but yeah, North Market is great. Um, um, uh, Tacos Al Gordo in Vegas. Yeah. I mean, is amazing. this list could be pure Vegas almost. Yeah. Tacos Al Gordo is amazing. The thing about Tacos Al Gordo you have to know is that depending upon what filling you want in your taco, you have to get in a different line. In particular, mm-hmm. Al Pastor has its own line because yeah. the vertical rotisserie that they cook it on is right behind the line. The guy who takes your order just gets handed fresh tortillas and carves the meat off of this off of the uh, rotisserie straight into your taco. And then hands it to you, and you go over a little table and add your garnishes. Uh, that was awesome. Um, Armsby Abbey in Worcester was really good. I had brunch there. I had a really good brunch in Richmond uh, when I top-ended the Invitational there in 2015. It was a beef tenderloin Benedict. That was awesome. I like how you're like going back to your meat-eating days a lot here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, most of my traveling has been during you know those years, right? Um so, um, what else? Um, yeah, I'm trying to figure out ones that have like really stood out. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about this a lot. We we can stay on this for a minute for sure. Um, yeah. Oh, we I can keep. There's a my wend kebab in Baltimore was awesome. Their falafel. Yeah, I remember. I think it was Baltimore. There was some Indian place, like hole in the wall Indian place that we went to. That was like some of the best Indian I ever had. I don't remember the name of it, but it was like right by the convention center. But we went to a really Indian good Italian place in in Baltimore too. Are you talking about the one that was in like a little Italian village area? No, the what the Italian place that we went to sucked. there was actually mediocre. Yeah, it was sucked. Yeah, yeah. There was another one I've been to. Ooh, Jim that was really Jim was good. like, yeah. if if Jim says something bad about Italian food, like here's the thing, Jim's probably the most Italian out of all of us. Jim Davis or whatever. Like you know, he's like. He loves Italian food, eats it all the time. But if Jim says something bad about it, like, nothing against Jim. I just feel like his palate isn't as refined as some people's. <laughs> you know, he just, like, covers everything in cheese, like, you know, blah, blah, blah. Which, hey, like, there's nothing wrong with that. But, like, we're not talking, like, Jim is not an adventurous food. eater. Yes, he's not. That's a good – there you go. That's a good – I wasn't trying to insult him. He's just – he's he's kind of basic, you know? <laughs> we we <laughs> did go to an Italian bakery in Little Italy in Baltimore. That was amazing. Oh, that was gas. Yeah, that, yeah, that bakery was, was incredible. Yeah. Um uh, let me. Let, I'm keep trying to think to like some of the major stops. Oh, I'm a big fan of Nada in Indy. It's yes, a, the, uh, like yes. upscale Mexican place. Yeah, their roasted cauliflower tacos were awesome. We went with Brennan, and I remember that place was absurd. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, okay. Uh, the wing was it Ale Emporium? The yes. wings and pizza place in Indy. The Hermanaki wings at Ale Emporium are the best chicken wings I've ever had in my life, and it is not remotely close. Todd Anderson, like. Every time we talk about it, I feel like Todd Anderson has an orgasm. You know, yeah. Like, we're, yeah, he like gets, he's, it, like, he's like, yeah, let's go right now. It's like, like a 45-minute drive outside of Indianapolis, but it worth, is worth it. Worth. It is ridiculously yeah. <laughs> good. Hashtag worth. Yeah. Um, what was that? Like, um, it was like Latin fusion because it had, you know, Caribbean and South American and Spanish and Mexican. I don't remember the name. I remember talking about it. I don't remember yeah, the name. It was really good, too. That was, in, that was near uh, Valley Forge. But it was like a little a, a little ways away down the road. We went to that was very good. Mm-hmm. Um, what else have I had that was really good? I've been to so many cities. Yeah, it's like, I mean, we've we've eaten in a bunch of good places. I'm trying to, a, remembering the names is difficult. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we talk about the actual food itself that was really good, you know, et cetera. But um, I think the places that like. A lot of times I'm just too tired to remember this. You know, we've been playing all day. Just eat a meal and go pass out. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've of... eaten a lot of mediocre meals as well on the oh, road. But yeah. we've gone over a, a bunch. Ones too. Um, we've eaten a lot of bad ones, too, for sure. Like, pretty much, like, all the food in Philly oh. <laughs> was, like, not good. 
Postabilities in Syracuse. That, that place is actually pretty good. Yeah, yeah. That is very good. Their menu changes. I'm a big fan of restaurants that like don't always have a stagnant menu. You know, there's yeah. nothing wrong with it, but like when a place doesn't have a stagnant menu, usually it's good. Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles, very oh, tourist trappy, but the food that, is still very good. Yeah, that place. That place is really good. I, did, um, I had that while I was uh, after I taped my Jeopardy episode. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> sadness waffles. Pretty much. Uh, pretty much everything I've ever eaten in Vegas has it, just been absolutely yeah, amazing. Vegas is, ta- tacos and beer is great in Vegas. Yeah, I mean the the, the list goes on. Like I just um, avoid the mediocre places now. Yeah. I had a really good ceviche in Miami Beach at that Grand Prix. Oh, ever... Mem- Memphis's food is awesome. Gus's okay. fried chicken is ridiculous. They also have one in Dallas, but the original's in Memphis. So either city, uh, you can find Gus's fried yeah. chicken. Um, there was a there the was rendezvous a is famous for their ribs. I found their ribs very overrated, oh, but their brisket same. was incredible. The brisket was good, yeah. yeah. And then right. we had brunch one day at Alcina's, which was by the site, and th- that was amazing. We all. We got a lot of chicken and waffles at so LCS. Dallas, Houston area. I remember we went to the Velvet Taco, and that place was really good. Their menu yep. was really good. And then we went to some burger place one night, like after a BCW event. I think it was called like it was something like something Rodeo or Clown or something. I remember it was like <laughs> it might have blue in it. I don't remember the name of it. It was something like that. Yeah, and Velvet I Taco is very good. I just remember being impressed by that burger place. I remember Cedric talked about it recently because he's been on the like this thing where he like wants to yeah, find his, the best his burger, burger tour or whatever. And he was like, "Yeah, it was awful." So I was like, "Oh, that sucks." Like maybe it got worse or something. But I remember when we went, I was like very impressed. Like I think I got a veggie burger and it was like actively very good. Yeah, you know, kind of thing. Um, there's a place by my house. Like this is one that you guys that like, y'all can't really like visit very much kind of thing. But there's a place by my house. Uh, it's just called Mason's Grill, and it's like a localish place. You know, it's been around for like 20 years, but it's like not a chain and they have a burger that they're famous for um it's like been in magazines and stuff you know back when that was a thing you know yeah and um the burger is very simple it's just like you know a, a decent sized patty right like it's a good size you know beef patty and they cover it in shrimp and then like they melt the cheese into the shrimp so it all sits there like on a very good like brioche like very very good bun yeah and then it's got like some you know like obviously all the topics you want all that's really good and really fresh and then they have, like, the best fucking onion rings I've ever had. Like, the best. Like, they're super crispy. And, like, when you bite into it, the onion doesn't come flying out of it. It doesn't burn you. It's, like, all like, like I'm probably going to get it tonight now if you're talking about it. You know, it's that good. Like, I'm salivating right now thinking about it. And it's nothing too complicated, but it's just everything about it is just perfect. And they call it, like, the, the, the Cajun burger or whatever because it's, like, seasoned really well. But it's, like, here, so it's, like, done just better. You know what I mean? It's just the way it's supposed to taste, in my opinion, because it's home. Yeah. You know, kind of thing. Um, I've got two more. Okay. I don't remember the place name for either of them. but okay, maybe, maybe I do. But I had a really it. good shakshuka after Pro Tour Origins in Vancouver. Yeah. And the, yeah, the next week was GP San Diego, summer of 2015. And we stayed uh, in a hotel that was right next to the Barrio, which is close to Gaslamp in downtown San Diego. And so we just walked into the Barrio to get Mexican food one night, the, the first night we were there, actually. And it was the best Mexican food I've ever had. And Where we was just, this again? Uh, in San Diego. Okay. And we just went back there multiple times. And it was dirt cheap and incredibly good. Like... Ever, I think I think Texan people get really uppity about their Mexican food being the best because you know they have a big border with Mexico. The Mexican food in Southern California, I've had, has generally been better than what I've had in Texas, like the Tex-Mex. But 
uh, like San Diego, I think is where I've gotten the best Mexican food in the United States, which kind of makes sense. It is like 10 minutes from Mexico. Yeah. I'm going to be in California later this year. I'm going to like San Jose. So I'm looking forward to getting some food there. California actually has some pretty decent food overall, I got to say. Yeah. But it's it's more the food that I kind of like, too, is what I'm saying. I like Mexican food. You know, I like the kind of food. They're like, I like fresh fish and stuff like that a lot. And stuff, and I go, I go kind of, I go kind of ham when I'm on those things, you know. Like, like that's the thing. Like, um, would you say you go ham or like go haddock? Both, yes. Because <laughs> okay. uh, like, cause like the thing is, is like a lot for me. Uh, you know this about me, especially over the last like yearish. I prepare almost every meal I eat now. I don't, like, I don't eat out very much. I go to the grocery store like two or three times a week almost now. And uh, it's more like a health conscious thing and like working out and stuff. I want to like know what everything that I'm putting in my body and. I reserve like eating out almost always for cheat meals, you know. It's and it's just a, a also a, a saving money kind of thing. Like you just spend so much money when you eat out. Like it's just everything's just so expensive now and stuff. But oh, yeah. uh, I was gonna say with this, but uh, when I go out, when I get these cheat meals, it's really worth it. So like on vacation, I go hard because like I can't prepare my own meals. I will say this: there is there is some backlash to this, and I think anybody who's done this kind of understands what I'm talking about. Traveling's rough on me, if you get what I'm saying physically. When I, when like I have to eat those meals three times a day or four times a day that like aren't prepared by me, so I get a lot of like processed food that I haven't had in my system for a while. You get what I'm trying to allude at here. Traveling is very rough on me now. I'm actually looking forward to France though, because like I'm gonna eat at like all the little you know pastry shops and stuff. And, and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna be getting some like pretty real food. Boulangerie is is bakery. Patisserie is like yeah. you know it's sweet bakery. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to remember to like take photos of a my food or photos of the places that I'm at while I'm in France. Cause I'm I'm pretty bad about taking photos when I travel. And yeah. I'm gonna try to remember that so I can like talk about it quite a bit. But cause uh, I'm very interested to see what's gonna happen because we're not actually uh, competing in Paris. Like I'm flying to Paris, but we're comp- the the event is in a little town called Lille, which is about I think it's like an hourish south of Paris. Yeah, they've had like some GPs and, there before. And yeah, we're so we're going down to there. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what happened. I'm pretty sure the owner of LSS, uh, James, he liked it when he was there. Like I think he played in one of those, you know, way back in the day or something, and he he liked it or like he'd heard good things about it. And he's like, well, let's just do our event there, you know, kind of thing. And so, I'm Lille very is in the north the... of France. It's near Belgium. Oh, is it is it north of Paris? I'm sorry, did I get it yeah. wrong? I, it was I mean, pa- Paris is already towards the northern part of yeah, France, sure. if I remember so I correctly. Assumed, but yeah, I assumed. Anyway, but like, Lille really, is like way far north. Yeah. Sorry about saying anyway that way. That came off really like like I was dismissing you. I apologize. Uh, yeah, but anyway, it, like I'm saying, like, like right me, next to Belgium. Yeah, definitely gonna make sure that I uh, I I'm not gonna I'm not gonna skimp out on any decent meals. I am worried about when I get there, I have to like find transportation to this place, and then all the flights back. So like the thing for me is all the flights back Monday leave like at like noon or one, and I'm like that might be cutting it close on like getting back into Paris and getting through security and stuff. So I'm like trying to figure all that out right now. Like I haven't actually booked my flight. Need to do that, but. That's I mean, going to be interesting. I, but. I imagine you can very easily get a train between Paris and Lille. No, you can. It's just like I'm worried about, you know, Monday morning. Like, there's some there's some talks of strikes going on in the area. So, like, if that uh, happens, like, I might have a nightmare travel, you well, know, thing again. So we don't, it'll be fun. This is a, this is a no-crossing picket line stream, Tannen. Yeah, exactly. You, you just I'm stay saying. in France. That's what I'm saying. But, like... Yeah, it's just going to be a giant pain in the butt for everybody involved, and because because yeah. I want to come home, like like you know me, I want I want to get home when I'm done. Nah, just stay stuff. in France. It'll be better there anyway. Yeah, like we'll, we'll have some fun, but I think it's a good spot to uh, to end the cast on this week. I'm really looking forward to next week's episode when we have a lot of Dominaria stuff to talk about. 
Uh, and hopefully we have some confirmation of some really cool stuff for Dominaria to talk about. And then, you know, we'll talk about like, you know, cards are going to be super effective, uh, you know, because we'll, here's the thing. There's a very good chance that Dominaria has a big effect on the Pro Tour, the first Pro Tour back. So we'll see, because I have a feeling this is going to be one of their like charter sets that I think things are going to be like working off of. Yeah, makes sense. Right. So uh, thanks for listening this week. I'm really excited about the stuff. And then we'll try to get some more of these. Uh, maybe we'll get some more of these food recommendations. in. I think we're going to start if since bigger events are coming back when they're going on we'll start we'll we'll bring back that section we used to talk about we talk about food options for the cities sure like when atlanta's coming up and stuff we'll talk about it so yeah uh make sure you look forward to that but as for y'all at home thanks for listening we love every one of y'all and we'll see y'all next week 